Um, sometimes we get scared, right? I've been scared as a kid. I've been scared as an adult. And when we're scared, we look for help. For those of us who are parents, we've all been woken up in the middle of the night because our kids had a nightmare or they heard something that freaked them out. And, and I think actually these are good moments because what we can do in these moments is build a foundation with our kids so that when the more difficult storms of life arise, they're confident that they can come to us for help. There's this story in the New Testament where we see that Jesus' disciples were afraid. If, if you have your Bibles and you want to turn with me to Matthew 8, chapter, 20, um, chapter 8, verses 23 through 27, it says this. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea. And there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? And so we look at that passage, and, and we're going to be looking at a couple different passages this morning, and we're not even out of the introduction yet. Um, but there's a great storm that arises while they're on the sea, while they're in this boat. And, and it seems that the boat's taking on water. So they run to Jesus, and he responds, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? And so the reality of this life that that, that that sort of story kind of shows us is that we live a life that is filled with trials of various kinds. Some are physical, others are relational or emotional, but either way, we are regularly staring trial and difficulty in the face. And the question that we're forced to, to wrestle with is, what do we believe in the midst of those trials? What do we believe in the midst of those difficulties? Our mission as a church is to share together in the life of Christ by loving God and neighbor. And what that means is that we seek to live our lives, both corporately and individually, in such a way that tells the story of the kingdom of God and the good news of our king. That's our goal is to live in such a way that tells the story of the kingdom of God and the good news of our king. And maybe to put it another way, our lives should reflect the redemption that we have received and the redeemer who secured it for us. And that sounds simple, right? Sounds like an easy thing to do. And, and it is when we're traveling upon a flat road with no sharp turns, detours, or potholes. And, and if, you know, spent any time in Jersey, we know what potholes are. But the truth is that we will absolutely encounter those trials of various kinds throughout our journey. And this is when the calling becomes increasingly difficult. And it's difficult because these are those moments of testing. These are the moments when our true colors actually shine through. Deanna once said that her father told her, you can judge a man by their reaction to a flat tire. Um, it's probably pretty true, right? <laughs> And so this morning, we're going to look at that final petition of the Lord's Prayer, where we ask our Heavenly Father to lead us not into temptation, but to, to deliver us from evil. And this is when Jesus teaches us to remember who we are and to trust the faithfulness of our Heavenly Father to keep us on the path, and if we stray, to redirect us back. And, and that's what good dads do. 
And not only does a good dad keep us on the path, he also delivers us from those who are trying to pull us away by reminding us of who we are and where we belong. I've shared some stories with you about how I've had to come face to face with people who are coming after my kids. And maybe I was a little extreme sometimes, but we do that as dads, right? And so let's take a look at our text this morning. The first half of the verse, it says, and lead us not into temptation. And if, you, if, you, if you're listening to this verse, you might be wrestling a little bit because if you've been around the Bible for any sort of time, you're probably asking yourself, well, does God tempt us? Like, is that a thing that we have to ask him not to? Like, why do we have to ask God to not do something that he claims not to do? And it says in James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15, and I think I have a slide of that, it says this. It says, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So what are we actually praying for? When we say, Lead us not into temptation. What are we actually praying for? And, and, and so I had to get a little help because I'm sitting there, I'm wrestling with this all week. I'm like, how am I going to preach this? Because it seems like the Bible contradicts itself. But when you do a little digging, we know that it's not actually contradicting itself. New Testament scholar Jonathan Pennington is helpful here. He says this, in talking about the term temptation, he makes the point that in, in English, we have to distinguish between two different words, test and tempt, which overlap in the Greek. He also says that God tests his people to refine and discipline them, but always for their good. He does not tempt people, meaning that he does not seek the person's downfall through trials. That is the work of the evil one. In other words, to pray that God lead us not into temptation is to pray that God would carry us through the storms, keeping us faithful and not testing us beyond what we can bear. Not testing us beyond what we can bear. Remember the story of Jesus in the boat with his disciples. He's in the boat with them. He's there in the midst of the storm. That's massively important for us to understand. That God promises to be with us. Like that's one of the promises of the Bible. That God will be with us. Emmanuel. We're going to start talking about that as we enter into the Advent season. God promises to be with us. That's the story of the Bible. From the very beginning, he was with Adam and Eve in the garden, and then, and then sin ripped that relationship apart. And, and the whole goal of the scriptures, as we saw in the tabernacle, that the, the presence of God filled the tabernacle and then filled the temple, and, and we saw the presence of God walk with Israel through the wilderness. And the presence of God walks with us through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, through the wilderness that we wander through in this life as we make our way toward our kingdom, Jesus' kingdom. And that's a beautiful thing that we need to wrap our minds around, that when we are praying, lead us not into temptation, we're saying, Jesus, I need to remember that you're here I need to remember the power I have through the Holy Spirit. And that's the means by which I will resist the temptation to sin. Because let's think about it, right? When, when those trials of various kinds come, come to us, 
The temptation is absolutely to stop trusting God and to sin. The temptation is to say, God, you don't know what you're doing. I do. And what Jesus is instructing us to pray, he's telling us, you got to remember, I'm here. I'm here, I'm with you, and I'm for you. I think sometimes we forget that. I think sometimes we forget that God is actually for us. That he's not this like cosmic sort of, sort of, sort of being that is, just, that is like looking to zap us at every single trip and fall that we might encounter. No, no, he's for us and he's with us. And so when we pray, lead us not into temptation, in the words of one pastor, it's, it's actually a vote of no confidence in our own ability to resist the temptation to sin. It's saying, God, I'm in the midst of something difficult and I can't do it. I need your help. I need your help. Please, Please help me. Please be with me. Please give me the strength to say, no, I don't want to sin. I want to remain faithful. And the beautiful thing about our God is that our faithfulness does not depend on ourselves. It depends on the faithfulness of God himself. That we trust in the faithfulness of our God. We talk about like we're saved by by grace through faith and, and amen. Yes, we are. But faith in what? Faith in the one who is faithful. See, if God wasn't faithful, it doesn't matter. I can have all the belief and faith in the world. It doesn't matter. I can't put any confidence in this bouquet to save me from my sins. It doesn't matter how much faith I exercise. Because that doesn't have any ability. Oh, but our faith is in the faithfulness of God. That in the midst of the storms, he is with us, he walks with us, and he will give us the power to resist temptation. That is a beautiful thing. That's a comforting thing that that I need to hear regularly, that we all need to hear regularly. But but the text goes on, right? It It says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Here, our second point, the devil made me do it. See, there's more to this petition. Because not only are we begging for our Father to walk through the storms with us, we're asking him to protect us and deliver us from the devil himself. See, this is actually a prayer that you can, you can file away in, in the category of spiritual warfare. What do I mean? Well, traditionally, we pray, deliver us from evil. But the language suggests that this evil has a name. See, typically when Matthew places a definite article before this term for evil, he's referring to the devil himself. He's referring to the devil himself. We see this in Matthew chapter 13. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. And so what's the point? What's Jesus teaching us here? Well, one, he's teaching us that the devil is real, and that we need the Father's protection from him. The devil's real, and we need the Father's protection from him. It's so interesting, though, because if you look back at James, what does he say? He says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. 
and he himself tempts no one. But then he says this, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So it seems that James is saying we're tempted by ourselves, whereas Matthew's saying we're tempted by the devil. I, 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 maybe it's both, right? Maybe what is happening is that there is this spiritual realm that is, that is in place and that the devil is there and the demons and all that stuff. And, and maybe... And maybe he's using our own flesh, our sinful tendencies, and to, to, to run from God and run towards him. Right? We've been talking about this idea of participating in thy kingdom come or sharing in the life of Christ. See, Christianity is about participation. With which kingdom are we participating in? Are we participating in the kingdom of this world or are we participating in the kingdom of God? And what we're praying in this prayer is that God would enable us to participate in thy kingdom come, to resist the devil, to resist our flesh, to resist all the things that are tempting us to run from him and to follow Jesus. That's what this prayer is about. And it's, a, and it's an individual prayer and it's a corporate prayer. Because again, we see that the Lord's prayer lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. And so we pray this on, on behalf of ourselves, that we would individually walk with Jesus, resist sin, fight temptation. And we pray this for the church, that we would not allow the way the world is structured to influence how we do ministry and live out this thing we call Christianity. So that's important that we continue having that before us, this corporate dimension of the Lord's Prayer. And honestly, the corporate dimension of Christianity, the, the letters that Paul writes, and I've said this before, more often than not, he's writing to churches in the corporate. There's a couple of individual letters, but he's writing to the church. We are the body of Christ. We need to resist temptation. Together, corporately, and individually, we need to resist temptation. And so the point, like I said, Jesus is teaching us, one, that the devil is real, and two, that we need the Father's protection from him. But turn with me now to 1 Peter chapter 5, and we're going to look a little bit more at this idea of the devil. Verses 5 through 11, it goes like this. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Just note that term humility, right? It shows up a lot in the scriptures. Clothe yourselves with, all, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud and, but gives grace to the humble. And he says this, humble yourselves. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you to him be the dominion forever. A couple observations here. One, humility shows up twice, and, and pride is denounced in this particular passage. And so humility is the path forward because humility is the path to glory. We've talked about this. We've talked about that, that we are to be a people not only forgiven by the cross, but formed by the cross. 
And we see that it was Jesus when he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. What happened? He was then exalted. See, humility is the path to glory. And the things that worry us, that bring us fear and anxiety, give those to God. Why? Because he cares for you, is what the text says. And then we're commanded to be sound mind, of sound mind, sober-minded. It's an interesting word because in the technical sense, it can mean like don't get drunk. Like literally, don't get drunk. But also there's more to it than that, especially in the context of the New Testament. In the words of New Testament scholar Karen Jobes, she says spiritual sobriety is a clear-minded and self-controlled mental state that is free from confusion and driving passions. I actually thought that was really interesting, free from driving passions. Because we do live in a culture that celebrates passion. We need to be passionate about everything. Everything is like passion. Like watch a cologne or perfume ad and it's just like passion. It's like, it's like all this weird stuff happening in a, in a perfume. Like I never understood those. And, and like they really kind of came to life in the 90s and they've just gotten progressively stranger. And it's like always someone like running through like a hallway and they're just passionate. And, and, and the, the text tells us like, yeah, we shouldn't actually rely on driving passions. Right? For some of us who are are held captive to our political ideals. Those are driving passions. Be careful of those. Be careful of those. What else does he say? What else does he say? He says, right, spiritual sobriety, and then it says why, right? Because the devil is present and he wants to destroy us. He's here. He roams around. And so when we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, we're, we're praying, God, Please protect us from this devil who's prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking to take those things that, that are about us, those driving passions, those, those, those moments where we have those lapses of faith, and he's looking to capitalize on that. And he's looking to, to steer us away from the kingdom so that we would not participate in thy kingdom come, that, but rather we'd participate in this world and its systems. And the question I keep wrestling with is, how do we resist him? Well, he tells us, by standing firm in our faith which means trusting in the faithfulness of our Father by walking in obedience, by knowing that we're not the only ones in the storm. This is really important. The trials, tests, and storms of this life are difficult, but suffering is not new or unique. Do we trust that God is in the boat with us? I actually think this is really helpful that we remember that, one, it's, it's, we're not the only ones going through things. And we, we saw that this morning as Seski asked for prayer. We all got stuff we're going through. And, and that should move us to pray. But there's also a comfort there. Because, one, I think, like, we're not that special. Right? We're not that special. We're all going through things. And the beauty is, is that we can come alongside one another. Remember, the body of Christ are the hands and feet of Jesus and so we can come alongside of each other and help one another in the midst of those difficulties, in the midst of those trials of various kinds that we are all encountering. And so we actually help each other resist the devil. We are the hands and feet by which God is answering the prayer, lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Because when we're doing this together, we have more strength. The problem is, is when we isolate ourselves. Notice when does temptation have its way with you? Is it when you're in regular fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Jesus? Or is it when you're by yourself? It's when we're by ourselves. And again, so this corporate dimension sneaks its way back into what we're talking about. 
We need one another. We need one another. And also, we are called to look beyond our suffering to our eternal glory. The path to Christ is the path of Christ. And the path of Christ is a path of suffering, trials, tests, and storms. And we weather the storm by keeping our eyes fixed upon Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, to that eternal glory, that eternal hope. That matters for us as Christians. Because if we just wanted to, to kind of pick ourselves up by our bootstraps and, and, and do our thing as, as, as like, a, like a social club and just, you know, do good deeds around, like that's all fine and good. But Christianity is different because it tells us, one, that Jesus died and rose again and that he's coming back to establish his kingdom. And so there is a spiritual, which is actually physical, element to this thing we call Christianity. It's not just a do-good club. It is... It is a belief and conviction that Jesus truly is who he says he is, and he's coming back. And the kingdom will be established. And that gives us hope. That gives us hope, and that gives us strength to resist the devil because he does not win. That's important. And again, this all comes back to this prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We're, we're putting bullets in our gun to fight this war. That's what we need. We need the hope of the resurrection. We need the hope and promise of thy kingdom come. We need the fellowship of one another. We need to know that the devil is real and he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We need to know these things because it enables us to pray and live in a manner that's consistent with, with, with the kingdom of God. That's so massively important that we get that. And honestly, I think like this is what this prayer has been about as we've been going through each petition. It's, it's reorienting our worldview. It's, it's shaping something. It's saying this is the prayer of the kingdom. You have a dad. He is in heaven. He is your father, which means you have brothers and sisters, which means you have an older brother whose name is Jesus, which means you're provided for with daily bread. Like all of these things are reshaping how we understand the world. And God allows tests. And God allows tests. And we see testing all over the scriptures, right? Adam and Eve in the garden, they were tested. They didn't do so well on that test. Job's entire life was made up of a test to see whether or not he would remain faithful by trusting in the faithfulness of God. Abraham, it almost seems unfair. He was like tested all the time. He's told, I will give you a son. He's like, okay, cool. And then he's like, but maybe I can help you out. Like, maybe I can, I, like, you know, Sarah's got this handmaid, and maybe we can help you out. And, and God's like, no, that's not what I wanted you to do. Why'd you do that? But then he takes care of Hagar and Ishmael. And then, and then he's like, yeah, God, I know you're faithful, and you promised that you'll take care of us, but I'm going to give my wife to Abimelech and pretend she's my sister. That's cool, right? Right? Did I pass that test? But finally Abraham gets it, right? He gets that God is for him when he follows this seemingly insane command of God to sacrifice his son. Not because God wanted to sacrifice his son, but God wanted to know, is Abraham for me? And the only way he's going to know, the only way he can be for me is if he knows I'm for him. The point is that testing is a tool used by God to strengthen our faith. 
And every time we walk in obedience and experience the faithfulness of God, the Spirit strengthens us and the enemy is further crippled in our lives. And like I said, we cannot do this without God. Because when we pray, lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, we are saying, I don't got this. I need you. I need you. And he is with us. If, if, there's, if there's one thing I want us to walk away from this morning, like to completely simplify it, and, and I feel like I'm going off script a lot this morning. I don't know why. I just feel like I've been going off script a lot this morning. But the one thing I want us to walk away with this morning is that, is that we walk away understanding that in Christ, God is for us. That God is for us. And I know we're going through stuff individually, corporately. I know I'm going through stuff. And what I need to be reminded of is that God is for us. He's for me. He, he, he genuinely, he's on our team. He's on our team. Like I, I'm, That's my prayer this morning, that we would walk away understanding that God is for us. God is for us. We are his kids. Like that's, I mean, it's all, like the whole prayer is founded on that premise, our father. Like he's our dad. And he's a good father. We've sang that before. And those of us who've walked with Jesus for any amount of time, we know that he's a good dad. And I know that some of us in this room have experienced bad dads. That's just real. We live in a broken world. And what God is trying to tell us, what Jesus is instructing us as he teaches us how to pray, this father, my heavenly father, he's a good dad. And he's for you. He's for you. That's so important for us to understand. That's so important for us to understand. That the, moving along in, in, the, in the sermon this morning... Turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. Because there's more to this story. Right? Because it's not just this calling to do better, to be better, to pick up ourselves, pick ourselves up by our own bootstraps, just obey more. If the Lord's Prayer has taught us anything, it's that Jesus himself is the embodiment and fulfillment of every single word in it. And I said this already, but the beauty of this prayer is that all of it's true. God is our Father, which means Jesus is our older brother. God is holy. He's ruling over all of creation, manifesting his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. And because God is our Father, he provides for every single one of our needs. A truth that we've experienced, that we've seen lived out in the person and work of Jesus and though we beg God to walk with us through the trials of, and storms and temptations of this life, delivering us from the evil one, the prayer also promises that our sins can be forgiven when we fall. And the only reason this is true is because Jesus, our high priest and representative king, has traveled the road on our behalf. It says this in Matthew chapter 4. It says, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. I just right there, I got to stop, right? Because that's just a really interesting passage. 
Because it sheds some light on this prayer that we're praying. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Notice what happens. The spirit leads him into the wilderness and actually says in Mark's gospel that he's thrown into the wilderness, that he's cast into the wilderness. It's like a more violent term being used in Mark's gospel. But it says Jesus was led up by the spirit. The spirit is God. For what purpose? To be tempted by the devil. So who's the one that's, that's doing the tempting and testing? It's both and. But God's the one orchestrating the events. And I think that's important for us to remember, that God's the one orchestrating the events. And the devil might use those events to tempt us, but God's the one that's in our corner, and he's testing us. And so we rely on the Spirit, we rely on God, we rely on Scripture, as we'll see what Jesus does, and he gets us through the temptation. We rely on one another, and he gets us through the temptation. Let me keep reading here. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And so, so, he, te- he tempts him physically, he tempts him spiritually, and then he tempts him like in the realm of power. Let's see what happens here. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. And so what's interesting about this passage is that we see the struggle that Jesus is going through. Now, there's a debate out there. Was Jesus really tempted? Um, I think what's helpful is having the category of tested. He was really tested. Can God experience temptation to sin? Theologians argue no. Some theologians argue yes. I don't think that's the point of the story for us to figure out how many angels can dance on the head of a pin. What I think is important for us to understand is that God is, in fact, testing his son the way he tested Israel in the wilderness, and they failed. The way he tested so many people throughout the Old Testament who failed. But Jesus doesn't fail the test. Our elder brother does not fail the test. See, Jesus Jesus truly has carried the burden of our sin in the wilderness and ultimately on the cross, which is why we can cry out with confidence, as it says in Hebrews 4, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are or tested as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. If we're in a time of need, Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. I got you. I got you. I got you. That is good news, Redeemer Fellowship. That is good news. God is for us. Do we believe that? Do we believe that in the midst of the trials, the difficulties, the temptations, the tests, that we can run to God? And I'm preaching to myself. 
because I know where I go first. I don't always first run to God. Truth be told, guys, I'm not that good at this. You can ask my wife. She always is like, really, we're doing this again? Debbie often tells me, like, are you really worried still about the church? Like, can you calm down? Like, it's like a regular, and it seems like the women in my life seem to always direct me back to, to Jesus. Thank you. Um, but the point is, is like, like, we all struggle with this. We all forget that God is on our side, that God is faithful, that God is for us. And we think we have to figure it out on our own. And I feel like it's so funny because I feel like this sermon is very different than any sermon I've preached in a long time. It's like not super technical, like I'm not getting into all these like cool, nuanced, biblical, theological categories. And I think that's okay because I'm reading the text and I'm like, I just think God wants us to know he's for us. I just think he wants us to know he's for us. And do we believe that? And so as we close our time this morning, as we draw near to the end of this prayer, I want us to walk in confidence. God is with us and he is for us. He has demonstrated that through the faithfulness of his son, Jesus. And we have a choice. We can either walk in the footsteps of our king, participating in thy kingdom come, sharing together in the life of Christ, or we can bow and submit to the devil in our flesh. The beauty of grace and the good news of the king is that when we stray from the path, he provides a way back. And that, is, and, and, and that way is, is, is humble confession and repentance and trusting in the work and person of Jesus. The path to Christ is the path of Christ. And the path of Christ is a path of humility, whereby we cast ourselves onto our Heavenly Father, who promises to see us through every suffering, trial, test, and storm by delivering us from the evil one, through the person and work of his son, Jesus. It doesn't mean we're not going to go through storms. It's not what it means. It doesn't mean that every time we pray for healing that God's going to heal. It doesn't mean that all of our relationships, whether family, friends, neighbors, whatever may be, are always going to be perfect. But it means that God walks with us in the midst of it. And it means that he enables us to choose the kingdom over our flesh and the devil every time. He always provides a way out, the Bible says. We don't always take it. But the beauty of grace is that when we fail to take the way out and we stumble and fall into sin, he brings us back. He brings us back. And for those of us here who don't know that story, who have not yet committed themselves to this older brother and this father who wants to walk with you and this spirit who strengthens you to do so. My prayer is that this morning you would repent of, of sin, of following the wrong way, of participating in a kingdom that is broken, and that you would bend your knee to King Jesus and cast your cares upon him and experience the life that he has in his son Jesus for us. That's my prayer for us. That's my prayer for us all. Let's go to the Lord. Father in heaven, Lord, I, I, we love you so much, and we thank you so much for your grace, Lord. And that's, that's kind of what this morning was all about, Lord. It was just about grace. Um, it wasn't about a, a beautifully articulated sermon. It wasn't about 
interesting details. And it was about the incredible gift it is to be your child, that we can rely on you and that our older brother Jesus has taken care of it for us and that you have both given us the spirit so that we might walk in you. That's what this was about this morning, Lord God. I pray that we were encouraged in that, that we were challenged in that. I pray that as we go to the table this morning, Lord, that you would encourage us, that you would feed our souls through the body and blood of your son, Jesus. Oh, Lord, be glorified in everything we say and do, Lord God. Help us to be faithful, to trust in your faithfulness. We love you so much. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.